It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Hello, friends. It's a cold open to today's show. I just wanted to take a second before we get to today's episode with Louis Zatzman of Raptors Republic and now 538, baby. Uh, I wanted to take a quick second to talk about Kyle Lowry. We somehow did nearly 40 minutes of podcast without really talking about Kyle Lowry. And last night, he hit 10,000 career points with your Toronto Raptors. And I just wanted to take a second to appreciate and reiterate the need to appreciate every second of Kyle Lowry for the remainder of this season. We don't know what the future holds, so we don't know if this is his last season. We don't know if he's going to be dealt mid-season if things continue on at their current trajectory. And I just implore you all to enjoy the hell out of Kyle Lowry. Don't worry about the, oh, he's had a couple bad games. Is he losing it? Whatever it might be. The dude's not losing it. He had 11 straight points on his own in the fourth quarter against the Bucks last night after a bit of a rough start. He's Kyle freaking Lowry, and every time he hits a milestone, it's worth kind of sitting back and reflecting and appreciating exactly how rad that dude is. And so that's all I wanted to do. It felt weird to not mention Kyle Lowry on the day that he hit 10,000 career points with the team. And we just talked about other stuff on today's podcast, which is fine. There was a lot of stuff to get into, but appreciate Kyle Lowry and enjoy whatever remaining games he has with the team. Maybe he sticks around beyond this year. That would be pretty cool. I would like to see him chase down DeMar DeRozan for the number one all-time scoring title for the Raptors. Maybe he does that. Maybe he doesn't. But either way, bask in the glow of his season that's going on right now because he still remains the best player on the Raptors this deep into his career. It's incredible. And uh, shouts to Kyle and congrats to Kyle on a milestone that I don't think he cares about much as he talked about last night in the postgame, which is awesome as well. Extremely Kyle stuff. Anyway, let's get to today's show. Myself and Lewis Zatz been talking about the Bucks game. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Get that 
Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 873 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, January the 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean, and you can find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every episode of the podcast as well. Please make sure you're finding the podcast on all of your favorite podcast providers. It's very much appreciated when you go and support and, uh, and take the two seconds it takes to uh, to leave some nice words and make us feel good and stroke my ego. Um, also, just a reminder, we have a new show at Locked On called Locked On Today that you should go check out with Peter Bukowski. He's the host of our Locked On Packers podcast, running through all of the biggest stories from the sports world every single morning. Just a perfect little 20-minute download of the things you need to know. On Wednesday's episode, the host of Locked On Blue Jays, AJ Andrews, made a little appearance to talk about the Marcus Simeon signing. Uh, you can go listen to Locked On Today there, and also go listen to Locked On Blue Jays for AJ's full thoughts on the next great baseball player the Blue Jays have signed, which is very fun and cool. Um, all right, on today's show, uh, less fun and cool, the Raptors lost another game, their second loss in a row, this time to the Milwaukee Bucks, 115-108 on Wednesday night in Tampa Bay. <sighs> you know, we'll get into it on today's show. We're going to dive into, you know, the offense kind of sputtering in certain parts of the game, despite not having the worst performance ever, but we'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to get into the performances of Pascal Siakam and the reaction to the loss, which was seemingly far more intense than it needed to be. I just I don't feel that bad about this game. Some people did. We'll get into it, and we'll get into it with our guest today, who is now a very famous writer, who I'm glad is punching down and joining the podcast after making his <laughs> debut at 5.38 to talk about how bad the Raptors are on their drives, and we're going to talk about that in the final segment of the show. It is our pal from Raptors Republic, and now 5.38, Louis Zatzman. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man, just living the high. It turns out when you when you get a good byline... Uh, the government just sends you like 60 grand and like, a, you know, a, a mail order bride. And so I'm living the high life now. Thing, things are good. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. Bylines? <laughs> Pfft, no. Um, <laughs> writing? <laughs> uh, I'm not upset that I've fallen off of that at all. Um, so, Lewis, welcome to the show, buddy. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. They're good, as it turns out. Even though the Raptors, I thought, gave them some trouble. They defended them quite well, I thought. I, even though Giannis, you look up, he had 24-18-9. and nine. He, you know, I thought he w was kind of harassed by the Raptors for most of this game. Drew Holiday did his best Eric Bledsoe impression, going 3-14. of 14. Good to see that, for old times' sake. Um, you know, I don't think the Bucks played a terribly good game. I thought the Raptors played an actually pretty good game, for all things told, despite the disappointing finish and the lack of ability to kind of push it over the finish line. Um, Lewis, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors' 115-108 loss to the Bucks? Honestly, very similar to what you said. A moral victory, really. And I know that listeners and, and readers are tired of that because we've had a lot of moral victories. Uh, but a moral victory all the same. You know, the Bucks are uh, one of the best four teams in the league and honestly, just a clear cut above the Raptors. Um, mm -hmm. The Raptors are not as good as they were last year. And even last year, the Bucks were a cut above them uh, in, the, in the regular season. The Bucks are just an unbelievable team. And so, yeah, when you play them, you need so many things to go right. And I'm sure we'll get into the details of what you need to go right as we go through the show, but really there's a checklist of like four or five things and the Raptors missed on one or two of them. And that's enough to lose. 
Yeah, totally. You know, you mentioned the moral victories thing. Um, and I did a little video for Lockdown last night kind of talking about this. And I, I understand that it's probably quite exhausting to constantly be saying, oh, well, that was kind of a moral victory. But it, two things can be true. You can be tired of moral victories, but they can also continue to pick up moral victories, right? Like, you know, they're 7-11. and 11. We've talked all about how their point differential suggests they're a much better team, how they've had some coin flip games that, you know, a ball doesn't spill out of the hoop for Pascal Siakam once or twice. And we're talking about a team that is, you know, probably fifth or sixth in the Eastern Conference at this point. And it's been weird. They've been snake bitten. They yeah. have not closed games well. And that's not all to say it's all like bad luck or juju. Like, obviously, they're doing things in these games to lose them as well. Most notably, their offense just has these dry spells that are just absolute killers. But... I thought this was a well-played game from the Raptors. I thought they had a good game plan defensively. I thought they did a great job. Like I said, on Giannis, they forced him into five turnovers in this one. Um, they were comfortable living with, like, Brooke Lopez killing them, which has done well for them in the past. And it just happened that they couldn't quite keep up on the offensive end in this one. Their two-point shooting, as we're going to get into as we talk about your piece, has been not very good. Um, but for the most part, I thought this was a, a well-played game. The... Idea of moral victories, Lewis. I'm curious. Like, when do you think it will run dry for you? And when will you think, okay, moral victories don't matter anymore, and they just need to actual pick up you know, real tangible victories? You know, is there like a, an event horizon for you when it comes to the record where moral victories stop existing to you, or is it just sort of a play it by ear? We'll see, and you'll kind of know when you know. No, no, I I agree. I wrote this actually because I wrote you know the moral victory piece after last game. Their next nine games, they play two good teams. They play the Brooklyn Nets, and whether they're even a good team right now is a stretch. Uh, and then they also play the uh, uh, they also play the Boston Celtics uh, right. until the middle of February. So February fifteenth, they play Milwaukee again. Then the eighteenth, they have the second of the back to back against Milwaukee. So those two games to me against Milwaukee are the event horizon. If right. by that time they don't have a good record, if they're not winning games, then I'm worrying. But uh, for now, they're, I mean, they just came off a stretch of rough games. I'll give them nine more. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it gets you to the 27 game mark, which is about, a th I guess it's over a third. Um, the math of this season is not working the way it typically would for me in the brain. Uh, <laughs> I need to recalibrate my 82 game uh, math to 72. But um, yeah, you know, I, I said last night and I kind of maintain this and I guess it really depends on at what point of the season this takes place. But if the Raptors ever fall like six games out of the sixth place and are still sort of on the fringes of the, the play in tournament, then, yeah, I think it's fair to say, OK, this might be too big a hole to dig out of. But the rest of the Eastern Conference is just kind of spinning its wheels at the moment. There's still only a couple of games out of sixth right now, maybe three now after last night. But you know, it's not like they're in some sort of dire straits. They play the Kings on Friday. They play the Magic on Sunday. Both teams have been nightmares. They played last night in a sadness bowl that I can't imagine anyone would have wanted to watch. Um, and, like, if they take care of business in those games, which, you know, I guess it's a stretch to say they will definitely take care of business, but the last few opportunities they've had to, they have. I, you know, they'll go into the 20-game mark at... 9 and 11 which would mean they'd gone 7 and 3 in their previous 10 games and really kind of turned things around from the 10 game mark where we did a check in and we were like okay if uh, you know they can't turn this around in the next 10 games there might be a problem well guess what they've turned it around for the most part 
even if they lose one of the games against the Kings or the Magic at eight and twelve, I think you're totally still in a position where you can chase whatever teams in front of you down. Especially considering those teams are not exactly a murderer's row of like juggernauts or anything like that. And so, yeah, you know, I think if you do get to that nine game point, if you get to the twenty seven game mark, and you're at you know ten and seventeen, something along those lines, then yeah, you're probably sitting there pretty concerned you know considering most of those losses would have come against bad teams i just don't think we're going to see that i would bet by the time we get to that nine game mark they're probably above 500 again considering the strength of schedule coming up so um that might be an optimistic view and you know congratulations for uh coming to this podcast to get anything but (laughs) and (laughs) being disappointed uh you should have known but i just the moral victories have not run dry for me yet. And I made this analogy last night, but it really just feels like, you know, when you're like out on like a hike or something and you come to maybe like a muddy, slippery hill and you do everything right to try to climb the hill, you're slow, you're methodical, but sometimes you're just going to slip on like an uneven piece of mud and you're going to lose some ground. Eventually you're going to get to the top of that hill and you're going to cruise and you're going to be like, wow, everything's so easy now kind of feels like that team that's what the team is right now do you agree that they're kind of just like spinning their wheels they're doing the things right and just aren't getting the breaks but eventually things will break right and they'll be able to kind of lock it into cruise control no that's a great metaphor and i mean if you're chasing someone if you're climbing that hill and someone is getting further and further away from you then it feels even more desperate right because the thing about Mm -hmm. the raptors is they don't exist in a vacuum. There's all these other teams that are winning games that they have to, you know, catch up yeah. to. So it feels even more dire. But uh, no, I completely agree. They are going up the hill. Like all the numbers, you know, watching the games, just everything about the Raptors is they are getting higher and higher on the hill. Totally. Uh, I want to get into some of the specifics from this game and some things that went wrong, some things that went right in just a second. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at betonline.ag, the number one place that you should be putting your money down when you are betting on sports. They are a wonderful place uh, for you to sign up, and uh, it's a free account you get as well, and you can bet to your heart's content. Go to betonline.ag right now. Sign up for a free account. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. And again, there's a million things you can bet on. You can bet on... The Super Bowl, they just released like a whole, I don't know, like a catalog of bets you can make for the Super Bowl, prop bets, things like that. That's always a ton of fun. Of course, you can throw some money down on the nightly NBA or NHL action. You've got MLB futures. Throw some money down on your beloved Toronto Blue Jays because they're going to kick ass this year. Go throw some money there. Uh, there's, again, no shortage of things for you to try and, and, and throw your money on, including like Croatian basketball, if you so please. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. 
Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow alternate routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to alternate routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Before we continue on talking about the Raptors-Bucks game, just a reminder, you can check out Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. Uh, tune in there every single day as they're giving you a 15-minute bite-sized, uh, another sort of download-type podcast where they're giving you all the information as you line up your action for the night's uh, sporting lineup. Uh, that's sure. I, you can tell I don't gamble. I don't know the lingo, but either way, uh, you go and listen to Locked On Bets if you do gamble because your boy Q and Lee Sterling are going to win you some money. All right, Lewis, uh, let's kind of dig into the good and the bad of the Raptors-Bucks game last night. Let's start with bad. We'll close the segment out on high notes, but we should probably talk about Pascal Siakam, who I thought in this game, you know, it's continued a bit of a stretch where I think he's played smartly. I think he's played well enough. I think he's been good and deferential when he's needed to be. I think teams are really selling out to stop him, and he's doing a good job of not forcing it. And in particular, I mean, it would be great if he could break down Giannis Antetokounmpo off the dribble and cook his ass and score around him, but he can't. And so instead of driving into oblivion and probably turning it over a whole bunch, as we kind of saw in the first part of this game where he was getting poked away by the long arms of Giannis pretty much at every turn, He instead decided to defer and was less of an active participant in the offense and kind of left it over to the guards to to run things. I don't know. (laughs) Where are you at with Siakam's performance right now? Obviously, it's his first game back after missing a couple of games with a groin thing. We don't know how um, healed it is. We don't know if he's at 100%, whatever it might be. Where are you at with the way he's playing? Are you concerned that the very positive stretch we saw for a few games there is maybe a little bit too far in the rear view and maybe he is what we saw at the start of the season? Or are there elements of his game that are kind of hinting towards progress, even though maybe the numbers aren't quite matching up? So I think the way the Raptors are using him has changed. Um, During the bubble and then into this season, the Raptors were just giving him the ball and saying, run the offense, do good stuff, you know, beat your guy and either finish or create for someone else. And it just wasn't working. I mean, he either couldn't beat his guy or he wasn't finishing. Um, He wasn't reacting. Actually, that was always true. He was reacting well when help came passing quite well, but, but the scoring for himself just wasn't there. And so uh, around the Boston game, they shifted and said, okay, you're just going to be a guy in the offense now. Kyle and Fred will run the offense. You're going to just slot in, you know, stand in the corner, set some screens, roll, cut, uh, run in transition, you know, attack the offensive glass. If you want the ball now, go get it. And uh, if he has started playing well within that role, then he's been shifted more of the responsibility. And so you saw, you know, against the Suns and the Warriors, He got hot uh, in the middle of the game and sort of shifted some shots his way, ended up, you know, playing really, really well. But if he doesn't get hot, he's just not really going to get the ball more than anyone else. And so in this one, he only had 12 shots and it just never seemed like it was time for Siakam to just break a guy off, off the, uh, off the dribble. I mean, he had four offensive rebounds, which led the team 
actually was was 40% of their total, most of anyone in the game, and only had 12 shots. That tells you that right now he's just another guy. So I'm not super disappointed. I would like to see him, you know, get a little more hot because he is having others create for him, right? That's part of being a guy is you let your point guards create for you. But uh, it's still not really clicking. As you said, though, you're playing the box. So, you know, Brooke Lopez is going to sit at the rim the entire game. He has two seven-footers to beat, one as the primary and the other as help. That's an impossible task. So it makes sense that Toronto's centers threw up 12 threes between the two of them because Brooke Lopez is at the rim. That's sort of the way to counter them. Um, or you can pivot into a handoff from the center or whatever, like Lowry was doing. But the fact of the matter is Siakam, as you said, just didn't have the room for it, didn't have space. And to his credit, to Toronto's credit, he never commandeered the offense to say, I'm just going to mm-hmm. make it happen. Yeah, which I think we saw in the postseason was kind of the problem, right? Like he was just like, I am going to score this post-up against Jalen Brown. I'm going to do it. And yeah. he would never do it, um, even in his defiance. And so... I, I think it's a lot healthier the way he's being a participant in the offense this year. Obviously, it would be nice if your max player could score his, you know, customary 23 That's a game or whatever, especially considering this is a team, as we're going to talk about, that struggles to score in a lot of different ways, in particular around the rim. And Siakam, at his best, is very good at that. Obviously, he's had some struggles the last year or so, and, you know, we don't really know, I guess, where things are going to even out, but it's it's... Again, I'm kind of torn on it, right? Where I think he's playing a smarter game, but also I kind of wish he would play a dumber game sometimes and just like kind of force the issue once in a while. It's kind of like he's completely eradicated the forcing of the issue, which sometimes you need. And so I'd like to see maybe that come around a little bit, and maybe he will do that against teams that don't have uh, Giannis in his grill the whole time. Uh, And also, you know, Drew Holiday, who's really, really good guarding up on on post-ups and things like that. Um yeah, I'm still optimistic about Siakam. I, I still think what we saw over that six or seven game stretch earlier this year is probably closer to what he will be eventually, but they're also not doing a ton of favors to him in terms of getting the ball in great spots, right? I mean, the whole crunch time offense just kind of forgets about him, and that was not the case last year. They were, they were the best crunch time team or the second best crunch time team in the league, and a lot of it was because they really focused on that Siakam pick and roll or having people screen for Siakam and kind of working out of that because it was a really effective play, and that just does not seem to be a thing they're going to as much this year. Maybe it's a lack of confidence. Maybe it's the Chris Finch offense kind of becoming more egalitarian. I don't know, but he's going to have to, if the Raptors have designs on doing more than just making a nice playoff spot and getting beaten in the first round, there will have to be some sort of growth from Siakam and, you know, a a realizing of his offensive talents and their importance to kind of keeping the the machine humming at the best possible clip it can. Um, Did you have any other sort of glaring bad stuff from this game? Let's talk about Aaron Baines. So he shot one of seven from three in this game. People were very mad about that, of course. I didn't think it was a bad Baines game, honestly. You know, he missed the shots clearly, but I thought, first of all, I would much rather have him standing outside and missing threes than I would rather have him, like, under the basket clocking things up for Siakam and the rest of the people trying to get to the rim because that's just not worked. And I'm glad he's becoming a little bit more emboldened with his threes. 
because it creates more space, obviously, even if it's an ugly-ass jumper, uh, one of the most broke-ass jumpers I've ever seen. <laughs> but it's still, for the health of the offense, I think it's better for him to be standing out there. And I also don't think it's coincidence that the Raptors' defense was at its best when he was on the floor. He was kind of the perfect backstop for the team in this game. He had three blocks. I think he's kind of understanding what his role in the defense finally is after kind of being, not kind of being, like was completely out of sorts to start the season. Um, what did you think of the way Baines played? Did you think he was as bad as the internet suggested he was as he was kind of bricking those threes? Um, and are, how are you feeling kind of about the Baines experience as a whole now that he's kind of falling back into form a little bit? No, I'm with you. I thought Baines had an excellent game. Um, he didn't play smart to start the game. Like the Bucks want him taking those threes. Right. And the Raptors don't. And he was taking the threes. So that tells you who is winning. Um, you know, the, the meta game, if you will. Uh, at the same time, I mean, other than three-point shooting, he was phenomenal. Like, defensively, he was doing the Marc Gasol thing, where he was plugging the gaps and allowing everyone to run around in front of him. He had a couple plays where, you know, he, he rotated from sort of the high paint down to the baseline, walled off a drive, you know, took massive contact and didn't move an inch. That's what you need from your center. That was awesome. And he also shot four of five from inside the arc. He and Fred Van Vliet are developing a really nice pick and roll partnership, uh, which, I mean, we all expected they would to start the year. He just, he creates a lot of space for guys on his screens. Fred uses those to hit pull up threes. Aaron Baines uses it to rumble to the rim. He had two pick and roll dunks that Fred had really nice sort of bounce passes into his basket for them. So yeah, really nice game in several different areas. Three-point shooting was was A, inaccurate, and B, unintelligent. But other than that, fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, I'm encouraged by his progress. Like you said, it'd be cool if they could turn a few of those threes that he's chucking up into like dribble handoff stuff and sort of keep the offense flowing. Which they did in the fourth quarter, which yeah, is yeah, how exactly. they fought back into the game. Totally. Um, but, you know, again, I would much rather him out there putting up threes. Like, the whole thing about Baines was he's an eager three-point shooter, even more so than Serge was, right? Um, like, the, the per 36, like, three attempts were oh, yeah. through the roof last season for him. And you need that. I don't think he's going to go one of seven all the time. As ugly as his jumper is, he's, you know, an average shooter, it seems. And you'll get more out of those wide-open threes most nights. You know, obviously, it would have been nice to have them in this game in particular. Um but you didn't, and that's fine. I'm, I'm glad of the progress with Baines, and now they've kind of crept up from having zero good minutes of center production to, you know, 30 or so. Obviously, Boucher, his mileage is varying right now, and he's in a bit of a slide, but I thought he offered some good little breaths of offense last night too. And I'm uh, I'm feeling less dire, but also I'm still very much okay if they want to go trade for a center. That <laughs> would be uh, quite pleasing to me. Um Let's quickly, before we get into the final segment, uh, we'll talk about this guy's offense in the final segment, but his defense in this game, Fred Van Vliet's defense, that is, was something I think worth remarking upon. Obviously not a great offensive game, uh, 3 of 17, 2 of 11 from 3. He missed some wide-open threes that if he makes a couple of those uh, wide-open threes, they probably win this game. But I thought Fred probably had his best defensive game ever non-finals division uh, he was insane they credited him with three blocks somehow he also had four steals uh was really really harassing Giannis and Middleton and Holiday felt like he was stripping it out 
you know, every time he got a chance. And there were a lot of loose balls that he poked free that didn't end up being credited as Fred VanVleet steals that probably should have been because he did all the dirty work. Um, what did you think of Fred's defense in this game and his, I think, developing case for all defense? Yeah, I mean, I've been on Fred VanVleet being an elite defender for a long time. Look, it's not unrelated that Van Vliet wreaks all this havoc in the same game that Aaron Baines has his best defensive game. Right. Like, for Fred to be so good, for Fred to cause all of this mania, tipping balls away, switching, you know, communicating. At one point, I saw him at the top of a, like, a 1-2-2 two, two zone, literally with his back to the ball. He was <laughs> facing the rim, barking out instructions to the other four guys. Like, this dude is a quarterback. I don't care how small he is. I don't care what position he plays. That is a defensive quarterback. Uh, and he can do all that because someone is plugging the gaps behind him. Because someone is rotating and taking away those drives. And so, you know, Milwaukee is an unbelievable team, right? Like, they found counters. So, Fred Van Vliet was doing such a good job mucking up primary drives. They would reverse it, uh, swing, looking for shots. Toronto took the shots away. Milwaukee countered by driving, you know, sort of short-circuiting those ping-ping-ping perimeter passes. Brooke Lopez did it a couple times. He just created off the dribble. I mean, that is what they needed to do, and they ended up doing it. Lopez shot 8 of 11 from the field. But Fred forced them into such sort of bizarre offensive actions and decisions. He just – he annihilates what people want to do. He is that type of defender, like a young Kawhi Leonard, where you want something, nope, can't do it. And, and Fred is just so strong. He has his body in the right place. He gets his hands on every ball. I agree with you, man. That was an unbelievable defensive performance. Yeah, you know, the Bucks I think, would stand to benefit if they played the Raptors every game because Fred VanVleet forces them into doing different things than they typically like to do. And, of course, we know what the problem with the Bucks is, is they think, we've done this all season and it's been great. Let's keep on doing the exact same thing in the playoffs. Maybe Fred VanVleet is the agent to uh, force Mike Budenholzer to change. But, <laughs> of course, that's... Uh, not going to be the case. They're not going to get to play them every game, and I'm glad for it because they're annoying as hell to play, uh, and I think Fred Van Vliet probably finds them quite annoying too, and we're going to dive into that reason uh, and the reason why you know Fred struggled in particular on offense in this game and you know, sort of the grander symptom or the grander issue of the finishing around the rim and the two-point uh, conversion and the drives and all that stuff that you talked about in your lovely 538 piece coming up in just one second. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at Built Bar, making the best tasting protein bar in the world, and it is even better than it used to be. I swear they sent me a new box like last week, and I have like plowed through them because they're so good. Their new formula is amazing. It's basically like you're eating a chocolate bar, except you don't have to have the guilt of, you know, oh my God, I just ate a chocolate bar at two in the afternoon. What is going on with my life? It's actually good for you. It can power your day. It can take you to a workout and you don't have a full stomach or anything like that. And it still gives you the energy you need. They have 18 wonderful flavors, including some real bangers like lemon almond cheesecake. Let me tell you. Lemon Almond Cheesecake is fantastic. You should just get a whole box of those, uh, or you can get a mixed box because, like I said, 18 amazing flavors, a whole bunch of wide range from fruit flavors to nut flavors, nut-free flavors for those who are allergic. There's no shortage of stuff for you to try out. 
Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and they are great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for keto diets as well. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off of your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Hey, guys. It's Walker Mail, host of the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, Lewis, uh, we're going to get into your piece here in just two seconds, but I just want to give people a heads up. Uh, there will be a Saturday podcast this week because I missed yesterday. I had some fire alarm testing going on in my house, and it seemed maybe not the best audio environment to do <laughs> podcasting in. Um, so there's today's podcast. I'll do a mailbag episode on Friday. I'm going to see if I can get Katie to join that one. And then on Saturday, we will do a breakdown of the Kings game. Uh, whenever I wake up, I usually go to bed at like 4 a.m. on Friday nights. So we will uh, <laughs> we'll get that podcast out to you as soon as possible on Saturday to talk about that game. But for now, Lewis, let's talk about your uh, your piece for 538 where you spoke about the Raptors drives and how they stink at them. Um, I don't know if it's a surprise to anybody that the numbers are as bad as they are. As you noted, you know, the start of the season, they were basically historically bad on their drives and, and finishing around the basket. They are slowly ticking up, but not to good levels, just to not historically bad levels. It's just, just general run-of-the-mill bad. Um, I, you know, there's lots to get into here. I think we've kind of talked about a lot of the reasons why they struggle in these situations, but what was your impetus for writing about it, Lewis? Because, it, you know, it, obviously something must have jarred your brain and said, oh, this is a thing I should dive into for 538. And 538 said, hell yeah, dude, we will pay you so much money to write for us. Please do. Uh, <laughs> so what went into the uh, the decision to write about this element of the Raptors offense? Okay, so no, really good question. So it began with Pascal Siakam because I was thinking, you know, sometimes he seems like he has this huge role in the offense and sometimes he doesn't. How can we differentiate them, you know, in words? Like what's the difference other than he gets more shots or he makes his threes? And what it really came down to, what it correlated with was drives. You know, how many times does he drive? Uh, and then I looked further and I said, oh, if he converts on his drives, they, they win like every game. If he makes like, let's say four shots out of drives, the Raptors win like all the time. Uh, I don't have numbers to back that up, but it's crazy how much his success on drives correlated. And I, I was just looking for what might have been the trigger for Siakam's good or bad games. <clears throat> Having found that, I, you know, I knew what to pitch. I sent it off got picked up, which was fantastic. And it remains true. So, you know, I actually wrote my first draft after something like six games. And then I had to spend the next 
two weeks, you know, like crossing my fingers, hoping that the correlation between those numbers and the Raptors results remain true. Next, it became even more true. Like mm. the, the relationship between Toronto's drives on, on the whole and their success became even more reflected in the numbers, um, especially as their three-point shooting ticked up and their winning did not. Um, and this game became just another example of that. So I have the numbers in front of me. Uh, by the way, the Raptors are passing out of a record-breaking number of drives. They're at 48.7, <laughs> or at least they were going into uh, Tuesday night's games. 48.7% <clears throat> of drives ended in a pass, which is the most of all time in the history of the database. Um, this, Sharing is caring, ain't it? <laughs> this game was way more. Fred Van Fleet passed out of 75% of drives, which he oh, led the God. league, you know, last year and continues to this year in passing out of drives, not at 75%. That's even crazy. He drove 16 times, attempted only two shots, missed both. Kyle passed out of 78% of drives, drove nine times. Norman Powell drove eight times, made only one shot. Siakam drove eight times, made only one shot. Like, this is not going to win you a game. You know, no, no one could put the ball on the floor and finish themselves. And that's just not enough because what it comes down to is variance. Um, and this is why the Raptors are able to build leads in like every single game. Because when you <laughs> rely on a high variance shot, even within the realm of one game, it's going to swing your way, right? If you mm -hmm. just shoot 53s, at some point you're going to hit some in a row. So the Raptors have built double-digit leads in six of their losses. But if you don't have a low-variance counter, if you can't just make layups, drive past your guy, put the ball on the rim, then you're never going to hold the lead because that high variance will swing against you. And so even when the Raptors made 22 threes in this one, they punched with the Bucks in the first quarter. When the threes stopped dropping, they had no counter. They had no other offense, no low-variance shot to to fall back on it. And that's where, where the drives come in. And without, you know, Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, putting that pressure on the rim, the Raptors just are, aren't going to return to the levels we saw last year. Well, well put, man. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because the Bucks are sort of a team that forces you into extremes. And I mean, the, really, the game last night is a perfect illustration of the exact issue you were talking about. And I'm glad that we were able to get you on today to talk about that game because it just, you know, obviously they're not going to pass it of 75% of their, their drives always, but the Bucks, because they hang back at the rim, because they're so freaking long and because... You know, to beat them, you kind of need to play a high-variance game in a way. I'm not surprised the Raptors put up 55 threes in this game. They shot 40%, which was great. But like you said, you know, they you have to get those easy buckets when you can, and they just didn't get any. They only had 16 twos in this game compared to 22 threes. They shot 40% both from the field and from three, which is just not it, man. Like, it, it's, it's not going to get it done for you. My question to you Lewis is do you see any potential solutions on the roster to this problem I know you know looking at Norman Powell it seems like he's kind of coming back out of his early season funk he looks really really good right now last night obviously was the the biggest um, you know workhorse on the offense for the team his drives seemed quite good and he overall seems to be finishing around the basket with the same sort of composure he did last year when he kind of figured it all out 
Um, even then, though, he only shot three of six from two yesterday. He was five of seven from three, and a lot of his production came from there. Um, but so there's Norm. You know, uh, is there any other sort of solution on the roster that you see to this problem, or is this something that's going to require, um, you know, them getting Bradley Beal from the Wizards to, to fix? No, I think the roster does have the pieces. I mean, Fred Van Vliet, some games, you know, shoots like six of eight at the rim and just is dominant. You know, when that happens, they win. It just doesn't happen often enough. You know, Norman Powell, as you mentioned, and particularly, and this is really important, in games without Siakam, he has been unbelievable driving. So uh, that Kings or the, uh, the Knicks game, Siakam didn't play. Uh, and also those two uh, Indiana games, I think. And Powell was just unbelievable driving the ball in all three games. Um, Siakam has had his stretches as well uh, against the Suns and against the Warriors in particular. He was just unstoppable driving. And the thing is, those three guys, that's where you're going to get it, you know, driving success from. Uh, and when I say success, I mean creating for yourself. They're, all three have created for others at different times, but creating for themselves. And they just haven't put it together in the same game. Hmm. And I think that is the answer. Like, why can't Norman Powell and Pascal Siakam both, you know, drive and finish like two layups each, you know, in the same game? I just, I don't know if that's happened yet this season. And I just don't know why, like there's enough touches for both of them. Uh, I understand what Nick Nurse said when he said, you know, it's not about starting. It's about Norm getting more touches when, you know, mm -hmm. when one of Lowry or Siakam or Van Vliet is out because there's more touches to go around. Norm gets the ball more, he feels it, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. I get that. But why can't he just do better when Siakam gets those touches? Like filter some of Lowry's and Van Vliet's to him, get those touches to him. You know, he, he basically runs the offense for stretches when it's a bench rotation, especially alongside Lowry. And like he and Siakam just need to find ways to do it in the same game. Uh, it's as simple as that. And I, mm -hmm. I think Siakam separating his minutes from Baines is a big thing. Yep. Uh, Powell seems to be playing great alongside Baines uh, because he's a little bit faster, faster second step, especially than Siakam. So we can get to the rim before that sort of clog gets in there. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I know it's simplistic, but just do better kind of is some of the answer. <laughs> and they can. Like last year, they, they were great in a million games together. So just, I mean, it has to start happening, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. I think there's some extra finishing around the rim to be mined here. I You know, I don't think they're ever going to be amazing at it you know this is probably you're going to cap out around middle of the league but if they can do that and pair with their defense and their three-point shooting then you kind of have a winning formula there you know fred shout out to joe wolfon because it's stuck in my head ever since he tweeted it but fred is both a bad finisher and the best finisher <laughs> and he you know i think there's been serious growth in terms of his finishing around the basket this season obviously the bucks proposed a particularly difficult matchup and i'm not surprised he was as poor as he was last night on, his, on the offensive end um and look he you know he, the, the passing ended up turning into a lot of assists for him last night so good for him i guess but 
you know, th- th- I think he's gotten better there. I think Kyle, when he wants to, and obviously I think there's probably some pacing going on here. Uh, he had the toe thing. You know, he, he's 34. It's the start of the season. Maybe he's just not fully exerting himself on every possession the way he typically would. But I think when he wants to score around the basket, he can, as we saw in the playoffs last year. Yeah. It was just like, okay, Daniel Tice, I'm going to destroy you and score, and there's nothing you can do about it. I think... Having Baines look better. We saw him throw down a couple dunks on the pick and roll last night. I mean, if he can do that a couple times a game, that's a couple easy two-point buckets that they just weren't getting before. Yep. Um, And I think, you know, Siakam as well, using him on the roll more often, using Boucher on the roll more often as opposed to making him more of a popper. I think there are some other routes there too. Um, We'll have to figure it out, man. And hopefully this run of little easy games against uh, not very good teams and teams with bad defenses can kind of help them iron some things out after a stretch of some very difficult games against some annoyingly good teams with insanely good defenses and all that. Um, But, you know, I think the overall takeaway from this game and everything is that it's not as bad as this game maybe makes it seem and the record maybe makes it seem. So So I just thought of a solution. I mean, it's not... Yeah. It's not real. It's it's a bad solution. I'm just going to preface by saying that. But if the Raptors were to start Norman Powell and put Siakam on the bench, that solves a ton of their problems. Like, obviously, you can't do that, and it's bad to do that. This is a bad solution. But Powell would be getting those touches. He'd be getting a lot of looks. And he is, you know, I think the team's second best guy at putting that sort of vertical pressure on the rim. Uh, you separate Siakam and Bain's minutes almost entirely. So Siakam is playing with an open floor. Um, Siakam gets to play a ton more alongside the shooters coming off the bench. Um, the team, he'll get more touches, which is actually something that, as we discussed in the beginning of the, the podcast, something that's been a problem for him. Uh, seems like it could solve some of the, you know, the specific issues obviously is impossible. Toronto just has a starting lineup issue right now. Uh, and until, as you said, they get a center who can just do more stuff, I think that's going to be an issue going forward. Fair enough. Also, it should be noted, OG Ananobi, probably a pretty good option on, like, the dive and stuff like that. His drives are becoming more powerful and mean and forceful, too. So maybe there's some growth potential there as well. And a great role him man. quite a bit in this game. A great yeah. screener and role man. I mean, when yeah. he's in, you use him in the pick and roll, too, alongside Siakam. Totally. Um, that is going to do it for today's show. We've got a little bit long here, but that's okay because there's a lot to dive into. And Lewis, you're the freaking best and I love talking to you and I could do it all day. Um, thanks for coming on the show, man. Where can people check out your work? Yeah, I'm at Twitter. Just my name, L-U-S-Z-A-T-Z-M-A-N at Lewis Atzman. Uh, everything I post goes up there. Also at Raptors Republic. That's where I post most days. Um, it's fun, man. Uh, it's a weird season, which makes for fun writing. And of course, 538 didn't even plug your newest byline, man. <laughs> We've just set you up, serving you up the softball. Yeah, we could do it again. You're at 538. It's awesome, man. Um, everyone go read the 538 piece from Lewis. Keep an eye out, hopefully, for more work from him there. And uh, we'll have you back again soon, buddy, if you are still uh, willing to punch down and hang out with us, uh, <laughs> us normies. Once you've reached writing fame. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe to Rate and Review, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, we are uh, having a good time uh, on the Lockdown Network right now. we got lots of uh, wonderful shows for you to, to uh, investigate, support, all that good stuff. So thank you in advance for taking the time. And that will do it. We are... Uh, 
going to wrap it there. We'll be back again for a mailbag podcast on Friday. Get your questions in, and we'll talk to you then with another episode of Lockdown Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.